We've been going on a series called Famous Last Words, focusing in on the words of Jesus that he spoke while he was on the cross. Not, not all of them, but many of them. We began with one of the first things he said, which was, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. We talked about when Jesus turned to one of the others that were being crucified with him and said, Today you will be with me in paradise. We spoke last week about Jesus when he cried out on the cross the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And today we're going to wrap it up with the last words of Jesus when he said, It is finished. Now John is the only one who records these words. It's in John 19.30. It says, When he had received a drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his, la uh, his last, uh, or gave up his spirit. From Luke, we can reasonable, uh, reasonably assume that what Jesus actually said was, it is finished, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Or the other way around, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, it is finished. Uh, but this thing, and at that moment, then it says Jesus died. He gave up his spirit, or he breathed his last, depending upon uh, which, which uh, version of the story you're looking at. But he says, it is finished. Not I am finished. It. What? What was he referring to? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about what he was referring to. The task. A job. A plan. That was set into motion before the creation of time before the creation of anything. And I want to talk through that story for just a moment, give you a thumbnail of history. And I believe it began in a room unlike any room any of us have ever experienced. I mean, I've been to some fancy rooms. I've been to throne rooms. I've been to fancy ballrooms, been into the, the Sistine Chapel, which isn't that big, but it's incredibly fancy. But nothing compared to this room, the throne room of God. Before the creation of the world, before the creation of universe, before time, God knew that his plan to create the universe, to create all that we know and understand, and to create mankind, he knew that there would be problems with mankind because of our propensity to evil and our weaknesses. He knew that sin was going to corrupt his perfect world. And he knew that something was going to have to be done to save his beloved creation, mankind. Now, some of us, our more cynical ones, would say, well, why would he even start to do that in the first place? if he knew we were going to be sinful. But see, part of what he wanted, it, it made it possible to sin. He wanted a creation, and he gave us, and he blessed us with this ability to reason and to think and to choose. He gave us that, knowing full well that to do so opened the door for us to make wrong and bad choices. And as it turns out, everyone did. But he knew that, and, and it's kind of like, I mean, Ben, I mean, Ben, you know, it's great, I'd love to hear him share this morning, getting ready to have a baby. 
And okay, Cody's over there. Woohoo! Remember, I just had one. Yeah, I'm still fired up about it. Okay, but <laughs> parents, we have children, but guys, there's no guarantees. We we do our best to raise our children to make the right choices, but there's no guarantee how they're going to turn out. We know, and we say, well, you know, we love and we want to create this family that's kind of innocent. I think we get that from God. God wanted the family. And he has done all he can to help us make the right choices, but he knows some will, some won't. Like a parent today. But God knew that all along. In Hebrews chapter 10, and if you, we're going to look at several passages this morning, but most of them are going to be in Hebrews 10. So if you want to just turn there and stay there, uh, you'll be able to follow along with many of the things we're going to look at. But in verses 5 through 7, it says, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, a body you prepared for me. And with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. That's a bit of a poetic writing. Basically what it's saying is, is that Jesus coming into the world, Jesus being born was basically saying, here I am. I'm doing what you sent me to do. Because the plan started long before that, and this was a plan God knew about. Remember, in Ephesians 1.4 and 1 Peter 1.20, it says that God set up this plan before he created anything. I used to think growing up, Jesus was like plan B. Right? God made plan A, but then sin messed it up, and he went, oh, man, what are we going to do now? i got to come up with something. I know I'll sacrifice my son, which would have been cool because God, you know, was still willing to do that. But when you look at the scripture, you realize, no, God knew that was going to happen all along. He knew all along he was going to need to make this sacrifice, and he went ahead and did it anyway. That's even better to me. It says, when sin entered the world, God already had a plan to deal with it. He told Satan, remember when Adam and Eve and that sin there, when they chose to do their own will, their own desire instead of God's plan. God told Satan, this woman, an offspring from this woman, basically saying a human being is going to crush your head. You, on the other hand, are going to whack him on the foot. You're not going to do that much, but he's going to crush your head. But he said it was a human being that was going to do that. The offspring, he said, from the woman. And from that day forward, God set into motion a plan for that to happen. He already had the plan. Now it's really set into motion. Now, mankind did their thing. They're growing. They're multiplying. There's thousands, and it's growing. And there was this one special guy. He wasn't perfect, but he was an awesome guy. He loved God, and he trusted God, and his name was Abraham. And God said, you know what? Not just through Eve's offspring, but your offspring. I'm going to bless everybody through your offspring, your children. Now, he only had one at the time, but then he was prolific. He had 12, and then they had more. And this family became a tribe, and then it became a people but they were enslaved in Egypt. And God says, no, but I have promised them 
that through them, through this seed, through the descendants of Abraham, I'm going to bless everybody. So God pulls them out of Egypt and he says, I'm taking you back to the land I told Abe I was going to give him and settle them there. That's why it's called the promised land because it was promised that this is yours. And he brought them back and everything was going great until people like we do started thinking, God, you're awesome and we appreciate everything, but I kind of want to do things my way. We don't want to kick you out. We want you here with us, but we want to kind of do things our way. We want to be like everybody else around us. We want a king, and we don't want to just be a people. We want to be a nation. And God's going, no, you really don't, because if you do that, a lot of trouble's going to come with it. And they're going, no, God, we know. We know what we're doing. We, I know what I need. Does that sound familiar? We ever say, I know what I need. <laughs> Nobody can tell me what I need. I know. So they do, and that's where we have the nation of Israel. The people became a tribe. I mean, the, the, a family became a tribe, became people, became a nation. And God keeps trying to tell them. In the whole Old Testament, you want to boil the whole thing down in the story, the whole Old Testament, all of these stories, and there's some weird stories in there, it all boils down to God trying to teach them a lesson. The same lesson he tried to teach them before he gave them a king was, you don't need all of this. Trust me. Just obey and trust me and I'll take care of you. I've got a plan. But the people kept saying, oh, I do, I do trust you, God, but I've got my plan too. I need you to help me with my plan. And God, all of these stories, you ever think about this? All these stories are basically focused on one thing. God trying to say, trust me. That's why the stories are so outlandish. I mean, all the plagues in, 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 in Egypt are all the type of things. Have you ever heard people try to explain how these things happen? I'm going, I mean, it's one in a million that one of things would happen naturally, much less ten of them back to back. It was so weird that people thought, that's got to be God. They back up to the Red Sea, and it just opens up, and they cross up on dry land. And it's going, that's just got to be God. They march around Jericho, and they blow the ram's horns, right? God, why did you tell them to do that? God, that's weird. Yeah, but it was so weird that it could only be God. It's not like, well, you know, the ram's horns had a certain tone that hit at the right time. The vibrations would dissolve the mortar in the ancient. It's, just, it's so bizarre. I said, you know, that's just, there's no other. If, if that happened, then God. And he kept doing that. Elijah and the prophets of Baal or Gideon or all of these other stories, all of these things. They're all trying to show, God's trying to show them the same thing. Don't trust in all of this other stuff. Just trust me. It's me. I can do it. I know what I'm doing. And he keeps trying to tell them this story over and over. And the whole Old Testament is basically the same lesson over and over and over again. Trust me. Stick with me. And it'll be okay. And then they keep doing it. And, and we do the same thing. We're very subtle about it. You know. I mean, we don't want to reject God. We're not that stupid, right? But we say, God, yes, but I got my own plan too. And I augment it a little bit. I got God, but I'm changing him up because I got this thing and what I want and what I need. And I've got God, he's on Sunday, and we'll sing some songs and throw some money in the plate. But, but, but I got my life, 
And if I get in trouble, I'll call God. That's the reinforcements. God's my backup. God's got my back. God needs to be way out front, but we got God guarding our back. And the whole Old Testament keeps trying to tell us, guys, that's, the lesson is let God lead. And even the New Testament tells us, that's why I wrote all this down. That's why we have all this stuff to teach you this basic lesson. Trust God. Don't trust in your king and your government. And some of us say, well, praise Jesus, because right now I'm really concerned about my government. That was my political statement for the whole, whole election process. But God is saying, don't worry about that. I'm actually in control. They compromised that, though. They wanted to hang on to God, but they wanted the government to solve their problems. They compromised in marriage. God said, don't go out there and marry people that don't have the same convictions, but they compromised in that. They compromised and they trusted in their money or their military power or whatever to take care of them. They gathered around them more gods to cover all their bases. I don't know. All the time keeping God around. We do these things not learning that basic lesson that God kept teaching over and over and over again. But God kind of knew that was going to happen. He kind of understood. It's kind of like with us and our kids. I mean, I've, we've raised three. But we knew from time to time, yeah, yeah, I know what choice they're going to make, the bonehead. I know what he's going to do. I just know. I wish they wouldn't, but I know they will. God knew. He knew we would all sin. He knew the wages of sin, which was death. He knew that we all deserved, we were owed that death. The physical death ending the temporary and the spiritual death ending eternity. So what happened? God made arrangements long before he even started to take care of it. Before he even said, let there be light, he had already made arrangements. And in Hebrews 10, this time verse 10, says, by that will, God's will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Everything was leading to Jesus. He was the plan all along. The Israelite nation, the law, everything designed to show us trust in God. He will handle it. He even set up the whole animal sacrifice. You ever wonder why? I mean, that's kind of weird. You want to sacrifice a lamb? Or... He's trying to show us that there's consequences to sin. The price has to be paid. There's lessons behind all of this. So Jesus came. He was born human, a descendant of Eve. Matter of fact, Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse 23, traces his lineage back to Eve, Adam and Eve. Chosen before the creation of the world, a body, a physical body prepared to show us through his life, this is what it would be like to live without sin. This is what it's like to always trust in God. This is what it's like to never leave God's plan. Jesus showed us what it was like to never need rescuing, never need mercy, never need grace, never need forgiveness. He showed us that, and then he offered himself as a sacrifice. He didn't have to die because he owed death nothing. Honestly, that's the only one who could be the sacrifice. Someone having their own debt to pay can't, Pay somebody else's. 
He had nothing, and he was the only one who could be that sacrifice. He took our place. He took death, and by doing so, earned the right for us to realize the plan of God. Earning so that we could be without sin, so that we could trust in God, so that we could experience grace, so that we could experience mercy, so that we could receive the forgiveness. His cousin, we know him as John the Baptizer. One day when he saw Jesus coming, he actually said, Behold, the Lamb of God, the Lamb, the sacrifice of God, who takes away the sins of the world. That was in John chapter 1. So when Jesus said, It is finished, he was referring to this eternal plan that began in that throne room before the creation, before God, like I said, before God ever said, Let there be light. It had been a plan that had been in play for millennia. A plan born of love and a plan born of mercy. And he always knew he was in the center of it. He always knew he was the pivotal key. Look at some of these verses, some of the things that Jesus said about himself. John six thirty eight. he said, For I have come down from heaven... Not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. John 10.10 The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Mark 10, verse 45 For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. As a ransom for many. John 12, 46, Jesus says, I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Luke 19, 10, he said, very simply, the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. He knew the plan, and at the end, he could say, it's finished. With a sense of accomplishment, a sense of joy, a sense of release and relief. The job was done. Salvation had been provided. The way for the creation, us, mankind, to be reconciled with God. And to further do this, to, to put an exclamation point on it, at that point, Mark 15 tells us, it says in verses 37 and 38 of Mark 15, when Jesus says, it is finished, and he breathes as he dies, the curtain in the temple, now this happens out on the outskirts of town, okay, on the place of the skull, Golgotha, and he just died. In city, in the temple in Jerusalem, the curtain that separates out the most holy place is ripped in two from the top to the bottom. Signifying, because this is the most holy place. This was a place, again, this is another thing. God trying to teach us a lesson. That's why he does all these things. That represented God, and he says, you cannot come into me. We are separated. Matter of fact, God specifically told Moses to tell Aaron, do not go in there, because you go in there, you will die. Why? Because you cannot come into God. You can't be united with God. You can't be reconciled with God. Matter of fact, there was one exception, and that was the high priest could go in there once a year, but that wasn't even for himself. He was representing the people. 
And he went in there to offer those sacrifices, again, for the sins of the people, to teach us sin has consequences. Nobody could go in there, but Jesus dies, and the, and the curtain is torn top to bottom, all the way down. The presence of God was now open to everybody. The separation was now destroyed. The significance is us being reunited with God. Torn in two. It was complete. It was ripped off. It wasn't like a hole was put in. You can peek in there to God. It was ripped in two. From the top to the bottom. I mean, God did it. God, from the top, ripped it down so that we could be reconciled. Now you go to Hebrews 10, verse 19 this time, and look at what it says about this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, well, you can't go in there. You're going to die. But now we have confidence, he said, to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way opened for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, it's no longer the high priest dude. This is the great high priest, Jesus. He says, since we have this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. We have unlimited access now to the Father. We don't have to have somebody mediate for us. We don't have to have somebody make atonement for us. That's already been done. You've been invited in. You're welcome. By tearing down the curtain, it is finished. The job's done. He's inviting you into a relationship with Him. You can draw near to God. You can enter the presence of God with confidence. It's finished. But it isn't over. And we're going to go into a lot more detail about that next week at Easter. Because just because Jesus provided this way doesn't mean everything is, is done. It's like, for instance, imagine if I bought you tickets to the greatest, I don't know what you call the greatest game, you know, the Super Bowl. Or maybe it's the greatest show you've always wanted to see, the best seats in the house. Plus, I paid for premium parking. Okay? Get you there. I said, I did it, I bought it, I've gotten it all for you. But if you don't accept the tickets, if you don't get it and follow the instructions on how to actually get and possess the tickets, what good is it? You can say, oh yeah, I have tickets. They're in my name. But if you don't see the show, what good is it? If you, it does no good for me to purchase the tickets for you if you don't do what you need to do to get those tickets. What a waste. What a waste it would be if Jesus says it's finished. The plan that has been working for millennia, for hundreds of years, since the dawn of time, oh, it's finished. Your turn. And we do nothing. We don't do anything. What a waste. It's finished, but it ain't over. Next week, we talk about us, where we fit in on this plan. But today, this week, I want us to think about, I want us to reflect on how awesome it is that God planned before time began how to save you. 
Think about how incredible it is, all the trouble he went through with the Israelites and the Egyptians and then the wars and the this and the that and everything he went through to bring us down to save you. Think of how special you are to God. Think of how awesome you are to God. And get your heart ready to come back here next week. Bring somebody with you next week. The greatest of the Christian anniversaries, the anniversary of the resurrection of Jesus, as we talk about our part, what God says, okay, Jesus said, it's finished. I'm done. I've done it. Now, what about you? Where are we at? Because it is finished, but it ain't over. We'll see you next Sunday.